All right, so we're we're gonna we're gonna start tonight on Chesam Rebbeis, and as every week, uh, we we're dedicating this learning because that the hostages should be brought home safely, the soldiers in, who are in harm's way should be able to come home safely to their families. Uh, this war should be won with the good guys winning it, uh, and the total and complete destruction of our enemies. And um, yeah, and uh, all things good. So. Let's let's start. So so we're now we are on Chesam uh by the two dots on the top quarter of the Amud, and the Gemara is now going to go back to talking about and describing what the various holidays that the that the Mishnah said. So again, just just to, just to quote the Mishnah, the Mishnah says Velu Hideim Shleid Vekichavim Klanda Vesaturnura Vekartisim. So the Gemara went through what Saturnula is. Klan to the Gemara doesn't really talk about much, but now the Gemara, then the Gemara went off on, on a on a tangent about um, who like who is considered to to celebrate those holidays. Is it Dafka, the people who are actually celebrating, or even people who sell to them? Right. The Gemara brought proofs back and back and forth, and the Gemara then got into another discussion about. Um, uh, the Jews in Gaulus are serving by the Tsar because they're participating in the simchas of um, of non-Jews. After all that, the Gemara comes back to the Mishnah. So the Gemara now wants to understand what is this holiday of Kartisim. Uh, by Kartisim, Amar Yudam So this is the day when Rome captured Malchus. So what so, so what does Malchus mean? Rashi says, "Yom shetavsa baroimi malchus she shenelchemu im 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 yevanim v'nitzchemu malchu b'kalayl." So it's when they fought against the yevanim, they defeated them, and they ruled the entire world. So the the there was no one battle against the Greeks. There were many battles against the Greeks, as the Gemara will say later. Uh, the Gemara counts thirty-two, and historians count like nine nine big ones, but. They and they start from like 150, 160 BC, and they end around you know 60, 70 BC. But the uh, right at the end, the Roman Empire takes over all the territory that the Greek Empire ever had, whether both 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 in um, uh, the east, in the west, in the south, and that's when the Roman Empire becomes becomes dominant. They 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 take over the world. So on that day, they they had a holiday. Um, Tanya, but the Gemara brings brings a brisa. Kerestim v'yoyim shetafsa baraymi. So the Gemara brings a brisa that says that there are two holidays. That's a problem. One is Kerestim, which is which is this holiday we're trying to understand what it is. And then the Gemara brings another holiday, which is the day that the Romans uh, finally accomplished their dream of becoming a world empire. So they used to celebrate that day. Now. What the Gemara is asking is that is that by is that by implication, carrot uh, 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 theme is a different day. So Amr Rabbi Yisef, Rabbi Yisef answers: State Fisay's Tafsa Raimi. They had two main victories. Echos be Yemei Cleopatra Malkasa. One was when they captured Cleopatra. Va'achas Tafsa be Yemei Yivanim. And the second is when they 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 won at the time of the Greeks. So. Historically, this is a very interesting Gemara because the Gemara says that there were two primary Roman victories. One is the defeat of Cleopatra, 
which is likely referring to the Battle of Actium, which happens in 31 BC. I actually wrote it down over here because I can never remember dates and names from history. I remember stories, but not dates and names. Um, but so so that was the so, and we'll talk about the, uh, that story in a second. It's very interesting. The Yaivitz over here has a long description of the entire sequence of events and the battle between Octavian and uh, Anthony and the whole story of of the conquest of the conquest of Egypt. But um, the the other the other is one is when they fought the Greeks. Now the original battle against the Greeks, the first battle that was the Battle of uh, Corinth, and then there were other battles. Started around 150 BC, 145 uh, BC. So around you know more than 100 years before the victory over Cleopatra. So, but in the Gemara, the Gemara brings. First, the victory over over um, uh, over Cleopatra, and then the victory over Rome. So, so which one did they celebrate? Like, which one was the primary celebration, and which and which is the second one? So, Taisvus over here has a very interesting comment. Taisvus on top says, "Amar Harav Rabbeinu Shmaya, Belashan Yavan Hu Tafus." The word karat belashen yavon is to, is to, is to grab. So tfisa shtayim karat lashen tfisa. The word karat in Greek is 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 uh, is a language of grabbing of conquest. Visim lashen shtayim. So it's interesting. The Romans made a holiday that celebrates the conquest of the Greeks by naming it with a Greek word, right? Uh, kind of ironic. Upirish. Um, uh, uh, was a second victory. So my father pointed out over here when when I was learning this Gemara with him this week that 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 this makes a lot of sense with the historical sequence, right? So so the Gemara first said that. That um, uh, I'm sorry. That uh, Crassim celebrated the conquest over over the Greeks. Then the Gemara says that there seemed to be two holidays. So Rabbi Yosef says there were there were two tefises. Rami Achas be Yemek Cleopatra, which was the later one. It was the second Fisa. So that's why they gave it the name of um, uh, Krastim. And then the second one, which was the earlier one, was the victory over the Greeks, um, which happened in the year 150, when something, whatever. And that was the Yom Shetaf Suba Melucha. What's ironic about, about them calling it Greek is also that the Romans in general, even though they defeated the Greeks and they took them over, Unlike many other cultures, the Romans, even in their conquest, respected the Greeks tremendously. They they always had an inferiority complex over 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 the Greeks, and they read and they studied Greek philosophy. All all of la, kind of all of later Roman philosophy was just an extension um, of Greek philosophy. They used they kind of used all of Greek mathematics, everything. They really developed. So uh, my father also uh, it's like the. Testament into the Quran are kind of yeah. Well, they took the mythology too. They just renamed everything. Right, the Romans also right. They they took them with the the mythology, Gars, you know, Saturn versus Mars, and and all this stuff. Now the the uh, sorry, Saturn versus um oh my gosh, Mars was the god of war, and in Greek he was Ares, and their 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 Parthians, their their kind of gods map pretty much one to one. 
just with just different names. So my father has a point which I think which which I think is 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 interesting is that the Greeks were the academics and the Romans were the engineers. So engineers don't really sorry Michael, but engineers are not known for necessarily taking making creating any of their own theory, right? But they're able to take theory that was useless until now and build a bridge, right? And build something big with it. So the Greeks had an empire, it was never very lasting, but they had all the theory there that was necessary to be able to do amazing things. And the Greeks were the engineers. They didn't kind of, they weren't mechadish, any major theory of their own, but they were pretty darn good engineers. Uh, the Roman Empire lasted, you know, in, uh, in the West for 600 years, in the East for 1,000 years, and, and, they, and they were extremely successful. Uh, so the East was, so the, at, at some point, the Roman Empire split into two. There was the Eastern Roman Empire, which had its, had its um, capital in, uh, it, it, it was called the Byzantine Empire, with its, with its capital in Constantinople in Turkey. And then the Western Roman Empire was in Rome. So the Western Roman Empire, I think, was ended up falling around 400, 500 uh, CE because of the German tribes. And but the Eastern one lasted until like the 1400s. Until I forget there was there was a big battle that that led to the fall of Constantinople and the end of the empire. I forget. I think by by the by the Turks. I forget, but by somebody. But but um but but that was so. The, this was like the Romans were very successful. So the Gemara, so, so Gemara says, okay, so 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 there were these these two different holidays. Um, it is very interesting. Rashi over here says, Cleopatra Alexandria. She was the queen of Alexandria. The Romans fought against Cleopatra and they got the Malucha. Now, what's interesting is that Cleopatra was really a Greek. Even though she was a, a uh, Egyptian queen, she was from a Greek. From she was, I think she was from uh, Ptolemy. She was, she was, she was there from Greek. She was like a, like it was part of Greek rule that made its way to to Egypt. So in a way, some historians actually consider the conquest of Cleopatra the final victory of Rome over the Greeks. So these two events are kind of one, really. But the other thing that's interesting is that Cleopatra actually didn't really fight the Romans in the beginning. She first, when Julius Caesar was around, he came to Egypt, he fell in love with her. They had a child together, uh, a uh, illegitimate child called Caesarian. Caesarian, I'm, not sure, I'm probably not pronouncing it right. Um, who actually um, then, uh, after Julius Caesar was killed, so the Roman Empire was split between Octavian and Anthony. And Anthony moved to Egypt, that took over Egypt. But... Cleopatra was still the queen. He fell in love with Cleopatra. Meanwhile, Octavian uh, was the king of Rome at that point, and eventually he was able to convince the Romans that Anthony had basically sold his soul to the to the Egyptians, and Rome went to war uh, against against Anthony and Cleopatra. But they declared war only against Cleopatra. They were very careful to say they're not declaring war against Anthony, even though they knew that he would come and help. And with that, they destroyed Anthony. They, they, they took over the entire Egypt and they made it officially part of Rome. And for Romans in kind of Roman history, that was considered to be the beginning of the Golden Age, the Pax Romana of, um, of the Greek Empire. Octavian changes his name to uh, Augustus Caesar, and he is considered to be the greatest Roman, Roman Empire, uh, emperor. There are those that say 
that Augustus uh, was the Antoninus of the Gemara, but it's, it's the dates don't really don't really match up. But but he was somebody who really led to the grandeur of, of the of the Roman Empire. So so I I, I just wanted to bring you that this this Gemara in in Nida that the Gemara mentions about 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 Cleopatra is actually fascinating and I actually use it as a source for what you're thinking about Torah and science. So the Gemara Nida is trying to understand when does a embryo form gender. So when a woman gets gets pregnant, at what point does the fetus, the embryo, uh, develop gender? So the Gemara brings some psukim and they're trying to say if it's there's a machlokas if it's forty days or or um, uh, or eighty days. So Rabbi Shmuel Ikagufa Deloy Mekabel. So I'm I'm Rabbi Shmuel. Maisa be Cleopatra Malchus Malchus Yevanis. So it's interesting. The Gemara over here calls Cleopatra a uh, Greek king, right? Uh, a uh, Greek queen, right? The Gemara is very very specific because she was a Greek queen even though she was the queen of Egypt. So so and so so what did she do? She was a, a very very positive character. So she had a scientific curiosity also in when does gender develop. But the way she did her research was like this. So she would take women who were condemned to death. Um, so she would take her various maidservants who displeased her and were condemned to death. And she would cut open their stomachs and she would look to see if they were pregnant. She would look to see whether the embryo had uh, developed gender or not. Uh, so the Gemara over there says, really the Gemara seems to say that bringing a proof from, from, from Cleopatra's Raya, from Cleopatra's experiments was good, but the Gemara said that her, her experiment was flawed. Because she didn't control for the fact that she didn't know exactly when they when they became pregnant, so so therefore her experiment was flawed, and we can't bring Uriah from Cleopatra. So there's two interesting things from this Gemara. The first is is that um, the Gemara was trying to prove when gender develops from a pasuk. The Gemara brought Uriah against it from a scientific experiment. And the Gemara was fine with that, if not for the fact that the, that the experiment was flawed. So you see, like, so you know, people science talk about. There's a lot of you know. It's important to actually learn learn the Gemaras because there's 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 a lot of stuff. The other thing is that people try to use this as a source with regards to ethical research, right? The Gemara is using a research. Okay, so for, 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 the, for, the, for the perspective of the Gemara, it wasn't so not ethical. I mean, she was a queen; she condemned them to death. They're just saying what they heard. But there are those who try to say, well, we see that we can use sources from dubious ethical research. I don't know. Right? It's and not a right. ethical because she happened to be in charge. No, no, no. The Gemara, the, it's, the Gemara is not going to get in. Like, it's like, it just, like, this was a story that they heard, you know, that she would, that, that she did this. It wasn't like they were designing a research experiment. Like, the Gemara thought that she was crazy. Like, whatever, that she was a Russia. She wasn't, but, the, but they're saying that. Yeah, but they're saying they're like, hey, listen, like she found out this fact. If it's a valid fact, then let's deal with it. 
which which kind of gets you. There's a lot of discussion about when I was on campus about a guy, a guy came to 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 speak about Nazi science. That the Nazis did a lot of terrible, terrible, ter- horrific medical experiments on uh, Jewish women, and some of those results were actually valuable. Like there's actually some very interesting science there, and there's a big question if if how we feel about using Nazi science. So officially, it's considered to be banned, but you know there've been enough papers that find especially similar results, so it's a it's a big discussion. Well, it's not necessarily under your control at certain point. Like, it could be that the medicine you're getting is like ten steps removed. No, all right, but but, but, but the question is, you know, in in scientific research, it's extremely important to quote sources. Right. So, so could you quote? quote well, I'm saying right. So the question is like, could you quote it? Could you publish it? Do we think you know? How do you feel about it having value? And it's a, it's an interesting it's interesting study. Okay, so the Gemara continues. The Gemara says. The Chaser of Dimi. So if Dimi came and now he's talking about this this battle between the Greeks and the Romans, and there's a very very strange Gemara now. The Gemara says, There were thirty two battles between the Romans and the Greeks. and there was kind of it was a stalemate. Ad de the Romans created a partnership with the Jews. So they made a very interesting deal with the Jews, and they said, if you join us in the war against the Greeks, we'll have the following deal. If the king is ours, you will have the governors. If the governors are ours, you will have the king. Where we are both going to rule, and that's way, uh, and that's the way it's going to be. So, uh, if you look in uh, Judea during during Roman rule, uh, there were uh, Jewish kings like 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 Herod, and there were Roman governors, and back and forth, and and but but in general, the Gemara is very very strange. What was his deal? Did the Romans fight? Did the when did the Jews join them in their war against the Greeks? Fine. The Gemara continues. So, so they were only able to achieve victory after the Jews partnered with them. V'hachi asano be'adayu imi non. Sorry, afterwards. V'shalchuluhu roimai le'yevani. So the Romans now sent a message to the Greeks. Until now we fought, right? We fought. Now let's try a different approach. Which is very strange. Hashta Navid Bedina. Let's have a debate. A intellectual debate. Which one of us should win the war? So the intellectual debate went like this. Margolius for Aventaiva, the first message they 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 sent a pearl versus a diamond. So if you have a pearl and a diamond, which one should you carve into to make a setting for the other? Meaning, presumably, the setting is the one that's that's less valuable, and the one that is the primary stone is more valuable. So the so the Romans, so the Greeks answered Margolius, right? So so they said that 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 the uh, the the um, the pearl should be the setting for the Eventov, right? Because the pearls at that time were considered to be less less valuable. So now the Romans sent them back, and they said, um, 
Okay, Evan Taiva Ve'enach. Ezem Hem Yasabas Lechaveri. So in Eva, so so in Enoch, it's it's Rashi says it's some kind of red stone. I don't think it's a ruby. They they translated it in English as a uh, onyx. Onyx O N Y X. I'm not sure what kind of stone it is, but it's black one, I think. yeah. But so it's weird because Rashi over here. So on the bottom they bring for me Enoch Neifech Evan Evan Idem. Idem means like a like a like a redder stone, right? Evan Evan Idem. I don't Maybe. know. Sounds like no fat. <laughs> What's no fat? Whatever. It's okay, red, blackish, reddish, blackish, whatever. So it's a it's a precious stone. Uh, here it says carbuncle or onyx. One oh, carbuncle or onyx. I don't okay. Know what is. I don't know, but Rashi actually over here says it. Who uh, car carbuncle? It is a a, a a carbuncle. I guess it's not a, only in a uh, English word. Okay, so they ask him. Uh, so, so, so they, they again they send the same question to the Greeks, and they respond. Um, uh, um, so they said, So they said that the Aventiva should be a basis for 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 this carbuncle. Um, okay, so the Gemara continues and says, so what's now the Greeks say? which is more valuable, a carbuncle or a safer tire? Again, right? We have to understand what's what's going on over here. Um, so shalchu luhu. So so the sorry. So ezim mehem yasabas lechaveri einach lesefer tire. The Greeks respond the einach to the sefer tire. Shalchu luhu. They said to him, "Kena non sefer tire gaban ve yisrael bahadan." We are a sefer tire compared to you. Because we have the Jews with us, right? The Jews have the Sefer Torah. We are the Sefer Torah, and the Greeks agree. Kafuluhu, and the Greeks subjugate themselves or surrender and give up this war against the Romans. Okay, very strange Gemara. Well, let's get back to it. Esrin v'shishnin. So for twenty-six years, kamuluhu beheminusa b'hadi Yisrael. For twenty-six years, the Romans shared power and were kind to the Jews. Mikan ve'elach later ishtabdu buhu they started to subjugate the Jews, leading to the destruction of the second Mesemekdash. So the Gemara asks a very strange question. Meikara maidarsh, what did the Romans think in the beginning when they agreed to make a deal with the Jews? Ulubisayf maidarsh at the end, what was their drasha to start hurting the Jews? So Gemara answers, Meikara darsh, so the first, the Romans looked at the pasuk that that is that that uh, talks about the conversation between Esav and Yaakov after they met, right? Esav told Yaakov, "Come and stay with me, and walk with me, and we'll travel together." So the Romans understood from there that Esav, who was their spiritual ancestor, and Yaakov uh, could 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 travel together, could live with equality. So Ulu Besayv Darsh and what they Darsh at the end Yavar Na Adoni Lifnei Avdei they 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 said let that Yaakov told um, Esav no we shouldn't walk together you walk in front of me and I will be your servant Yavar Na right and he's kind of subjugated himself to Esav from this the Romans learned that they will be in charge and they made the Jews into Avadim okay. Let's pause over here. So this is a very, very, very strange Gemara, right? 
the Gemara brings down this whole strange dialogue between the Jew, between I'm sorry, between the Romans and the Greeks, and then the strange shakavataria of the Romans themselves. Right? They went. They were they, they were in Bismedrish. First they were Medayik this way. Then they were Medayik that way. So you can ask a question on the Romans: Why were they Medayik from what the Jews' ancestors said instead of being Medayik from what their ancestors said? Very strange Gemara. The Marsha over here and a few others bring, I think, a very, very inter- inter- interesting uh, interpretation of what the Sagarata is teaching us. The battle between the Greeks and the Romans was, again, there were, there were four primary goluses of the Jewish people, right? We know. There was, there was Bavel, right? There was Bavel, um, uh, there was Bavel, Paras, Madai, right? Which, which, which is also Yavan, and then Rome, the final one, Okay. There are four stones, there are four kind of equivalences mentioned here. There is, um, there is uh, Margolius, there's um, the Aventova, the Einach, and then the Sefer Torah, four things. Okay? Each one of them corresponds to one of the exiles. And what this, this kind of dialogue is saying is that at the time when, when the Romans and Greeks were fighting, meaning this was a period when the Jews had been in Galus Yavan until the story of Hanukkah, they, they, they defeated the Greeks in Galus Yavan, and the Romans were fighting the Greeks at the same time. Right, the Jews defeated them in Eretz Yisrael, and the Romans were, 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 uh, were fighting them elsewhere. And this was a transition point between the end of Galus Yavan and the beginning of Galus Rome. Right? Because really what happens is, is that the, the, the after, um, after the story of Hanukkah, the um, Hashbanayim continued to fight the Greeks for another 25 years. Then they start to rule and immediately civil war breaks out among, uh, among the Hashbanayim. And at the very end, there's a civil war between two brothers, Horkinus and Aristobulus, and uh, I forget which one invites the Romans into Israel to kind of be the one who decides uh, who rules. The Romans came in 63 BC. They stayed and they never left, leading eventually to the Gauls. So the story of Hanukkah, this struggle between the Romans, the Jews, and the Greeks, really is this period of transition from one Gaulus to the other. So what the story is here is that the Romans is kind of this discussion right now, why, why the why, why the Gullus of Yavan had to end, right? Who, what's the primary Gullus of the Jewish people? What's the Gullus that will last until Mashiach comes? It's the Gullus of the children of Asaph, which is Rome, right? That's the one that lasts until the time of Mashiach. I know there's a Zohar of Gullus Yishma, which we're going through now, but fine. But in general, right, Valu, right, uh, Valu right? Sorry, that the Geula will come with the destruction of Harseir, with the destruction of Asaph. But until then, Asaph is in charge. Okay, so the Greeks. So there's a discussion. Why is it that Asaph's Galus, that Asaph becomes the primary orchestrator of Galus and the one? Who will who will be the kind of counterweight, the counterbalance that will lead us eventually to the coming of Mashiach? And this is what Rome answers. Rome says, because we have the Sefer Torah, meaning the struggle between the Jews and Asav is one that is enshrined in the Sefer Torah. There is no other struggle in the Torah. 
right? The Jews deal with Lavan, they get rid of him, Mitzrayim, they defeat. But the struggle between Yaakov and Esav is one that's brought down as a prophecy. That there will always be this seesaw effect that when the Jews are good, Rome will be weakened, and when Jews are not doing well, Rome will 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 uh, rule over them. And Rome means anybody who stands in their place. So this idea of the mission of Galas, this notion of the Jews having this external enemy that rises and falls based on their behavior, this is all about Asaph. And therefore, they, they tell the Greeks, you've played your role, you've done your job, but now it's time for the real exile of the Jews to begin, which is defined how? It's defined in this relationship and this struggle between Yaakov and Asaph. In the beginning, however, the Romans, and there was, in the, in the, in the beginning of Gaulus, there was a illusion that Esav had this illusion. Esav had an illusion that the Koach of Yaakov and the Koach of Esav could coexist. And this is Esav's illusion. It's, it's, a, it's a very common illusion, right? This, 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 this illusion of integration. The solution of assimilation, right? That somehow we could integrate into the world and we are shoulder to shoulder and back to back and we're all the same and everything is great, right? And Jews always have this dream, right? The problem of anti-Semitism. How do we solve the problem of anti-Semitism, right? This is a very, I'm sure you've heard lectures on this, right? This is very common. And... They've had all different theories. If we assimilate into their culture, okay, the Nazis kind of showed that that was not a great solution, right? Having our own state, right? That did not stop anti-Semitism. Not that we shouldn't have our own state, but that did not. And as a solution, it was originally. How that was like, yeah, there was a it. there was an original I idea that. Focus. Yeah, it would centralize it, but but there, and but but there was there was a lot of ideas that somehow I through Jewish nationalism, yeah, living it, so. also because because it, it, to to put out by liberal college you know college hat, the reason why people thought so was because they didn't they had a very colonialist mindset and they figured that the British when they issued their Balfour Declaration and this idea that the Jews will be given this. It didn't occur to them that the Arabs will have a problem with this. Like, like they it was a British land they gave to them, and they were very excited. And the Arabs were never part of the were never part of part part of the conversation. They weren't because the British ruled it because it was their land because they came and took it, right? Um, and before that, granted, it was Turkish land, you know. So whatever. But this notion that the people there may have a say didn't really factor into political assessments at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were many people who understood that 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 it would lead to anti-Semitism, and fine, that solution doesn't work, right? There's all sorts of ideas people have. You know, someone, someone, someone. I remember when after after the Pittsburgh shooting, we did a uh, conversation with all the students about about anti-Semitism in America, and a lot of them were very shocked that there's anti-Semitism in America. So we were talking about like, what are solutions for anti-Semitism? Am I? My goal was to get them into this conversation to basically like get them to a point where they're like, there isn't any. And okay, so how do we live with anti-Semitism? Which is a very different conversation, right? Building up yourself, understanding the value of what you're doing, understanding that this is a greater struggle. You're not just somebody who's hated, you're a force of good. There's a lot of positive approaches to how to live with anti-Semitism, not with how to solve anti-Semitism. So, so, but one kid tells me, 
I think that the problem is, is that there are not enough Jewish people in the media or in Congress or in Hollywood. So the non-Jews don't really understand us or know enough about us, right? I was like, I think that that is probably like, like, I think that is not the problem. The problem is that there are too many Jews for them in Hollywood. And they control everything and that's not the issue. So, so, so that's what the Gemara is talking So the whole story over here, what they're arguing with, with, with the Greeks is that there was a chain of buildup. Bavel was necessary to get to the point of Paras, to get them to the point of the story of Purim, where they were able to accept the Torah again and have the power of Torah Shabbat right? Which is very, very important because during the time of the first place of Migdash, the Rajba says this actually, and there was no such thing as Judaism without Eretz Yisrael. Like even Lehalacha, it wasn't clear that after after they left Eretz Yisrael, right? The, the, the Rajba says that when Hashem picked up the mountain over 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 the head of the Jews, the Gemara says that there was a Moda Rabba Leoraisa. Uh, le there was an excuse for Jews to say why they didn't keep the Torah because they were forced into it. That's what Gemara Shabbos says. The Rajba says that this was true because if if we look at the Torah, the only thing forcing them to keep it is Hashem says in the Torah all the time is if you want this land if you want to stay in this land if not I'll, I will I will I will I will kick you out of this land but the whole Torah is centered around being in Eretz Yisrael so when they leave Eretz Yisrael during the time of Purim there's not a, they're, they're, they have this Modah Rabbah there is no real sense of Judaism um, uh, once they left which is why the Kibush Rishon is Kipshala Shaita below Kipshala loving. The first conquest of Yoshua only made Eretz Yisrael Kaddish for while the the Jews were there, because that was when kind of they had that was where the Torah was really kind of set. With the story of Purim and Kimu Vikiblu Hayahudim and they accept the 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 notion of Torah Shem Apel, however you understand it, the secondary acceptance is the acceptance that the Torah travels with the Jews wherever they go. So that was a very necessary uh, prerequisite for for uh, for Gauls. So that was the purpose of of uh, Gauls Paras, and then there was Gauls Yavan, which helped really the Jews understand their place in the world, their relationship between them and science and and, and all these other questions, which Greeks right, which Greece really showed the mixing of realms and the story of Hanukkah is the separation of them, right, and helping understand which box each one belongs in and now they're ready to deal with the real Gallus, which is Gallus of Rome the, the, the Gallus of Rome fine so that's what the Gemara says the Gemara ends off saying that this illusion that we have of integration the it is a myth perpetuated by Asav by Gallus that there exists integration and at the end the Gemara says that Yaakov's message is that we cannot integrate and we need to understand that we will be subjugated if we don't behave well. That there is this notion of the seesaw effect. We can never be like equals. Either we're up or they're up and we control that. And we control the coming of Mashiach. And that's something which we have to do. Okay? Uh, I'm, I, I, you know, for some reason I'm kind of finding a lot of meaning in, in all these Gemaras now. But I think it's very, very relevant to the current situation. Now again, we see... It's anti-Semitism everywhere in this world against us now, and and there's this power of, you know, yeah, we're fighting the Arabs and all that, but the real threat, hanging over our heads to some extent, is the threat of Asaph. 
right? It's the it's the UN, it's the Western countries, it's US pulling its aid or forcing us into things, right? Like Iran, you know, is Hezbollah, all these things are scary, but the reality is we would fight in Gaza as long as we want and do whatever we want, if not for certain, you know, we are reliant on Asaph to some extent. Not that America, I'm saying America comes from, from the tradition of Rome. So to me, like this is Gemara, like, like this, this is this is kind of cosmic. This is this is this is what the story of Gauls is. So we have to, you know, do better. But but uh, yeah, I really hope that uh, Hashem has Rahman on us and, and able to swing the seesaw the other way, and we could do what needs to be done and bring everyone home and, and uh, eventually uh, welcome Mashiach b'Meherbi Amen. Um, all right, thank you very much, everyone, and uh, we'll stop here.